This week in Parshah Zav, we learn about the fire that is to be kept burning on the altar continuously. We learn about the removal of the ashes from the altar. Uh, we learn so many beautiful things in this Parshah, and I just wanted to speak on the daily meal offering that the Kohen actually brings. Which is very interesting since last week's Torah portion of Vayikra, we just learned about the meal offering that the poor man or the poor person brings and how that's considered to be as if that person has offered up their soul. And it's interesting that the Kohen Hagadol would offer that same type of offering and that would be uh, constituted as what is the daily portion offered by the Kohenim. So if you look at Vayikra, which is Leviticus 6 chapter 8, which is Vayikra Vav, uh, Pasuk, uh, Chet. And it says, and a hand, or Slika. The Hebrew does have a Vav, so it would be and. And a handful of the choice flour and oil of the meal offering shall be taken from it with all the frankincense that is on the meal offering. And this token portion shall be burned into smoke on the altar as a pleasing odor to Hashem. So this is amazing because this is basically uh, going on in connection with the daily lamb that is to be offered up, which the daily lamb is is also two lambs that one is offered up in the morning and the other is offered up in the afternoon before sunset. So I found a beautiful uh, web resource called uh, Jewish Home L.A., it is a wonderful site. They have a detailed walkthrough of the Beit HaMikdash, which is amazing, from Yehudit Litvach. So it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful excerpt here. So I just want to read about uh, what goes on with the meal offering that's offered. So it, in the middle of this uh, page, it goes on to say, on the north side of the Azara, which the Azara is the courtyard, which is the common gathering place where you could see uh, the, the outer altar. You could see the Dukan where the Leviim would be singing and reciting the song of the day, among many other Tehillim, other Psalms of David. And um, it goes on to say that on the north side of the courtyard was a domed building called Beit Hamokade, which is interesting because when it wants to, t when the uh, parasha teaches us about the fire on the altar here, it says, Ve haesh al hamizbeak tukad bo. And this word tukad as well as mokade have uh, similar connections here. And so this is Leviticus 6, 5. This also is where I actually got my name from, um, Aleph Memtav, which is Aleph for Aish, which is fire, Mem for Mizbeach, which is altar, and Tav, which is Tamid, which is like perpetually. And if you go to Pasuk 6, so we're all in chapter 6 today. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 6, it says a perpetual fire shall be kept burning on the altar, not to go out. And the Hebrew says, 
Eish tami tukad al hamizbeak lo tikbe. And so you could already see Eish um, tamid and mizbeak here in that verse. So uh, this Torah portion is quickly becoming very dear to me the more I uh, dive deeper into it and understand the significance of my name. And uh, I would encourage everyone as well, if you have a name that is connected to a particular Torah portion, it probably is your Torah portion. It may not be your Torah portion, but definitely uh, make a connection with that and definitely draw from the Kedusha of that and bring that into the purpose of your life. So as it goes on to say here, the Beit Hamokade is known as the Chamber of Hearth where a fire was constantly burning. So get this. So you have a chamber on the north side of the courtyard that has a fire that doesn't go out. And then in the courtyard, on the outer altar, you have a fire that doesn't go out. And then in the holy place, you have two fires that don't go out. And that is the western lamp of the menorah and the golden altar. So it's beautiful when you think about that. And then obviously when you connect to the allegory and the metaphor of the Ark, the Aron and the Holy of Holies, that is known as the fire of Hashem because Hashem's word is fire. So you literally have five different fires going on here in the temple. And obviously you add the sixth, which would be the fire that's in the heart of the Yehudim. And then one of the other things too, um, Bezrat Hashem over time being able to share uh, the different resources that I'm reading, there's also a lot of water in the temple. There's a little catch basin to catch the water off of the roof of the holy place in the Holy of Holies. And then there's a mikvah on top of the entry of the water gate. And then there's other mikvots throughout that precinct of the temple uh, grounds. So you have water and fire everywhere. So I just think it's interesting when you think about the fact of the words of Yochanan Hatovel, John the Immerser, when he says, I immerse you in water for repentance, but the one who comes after me will immerse you in fire and in the Ruach HaKodesh. And so you have the whole concept of fire and water being connected with Teshuva and Mashiach. And this is the temple. The temple is Teshuvah and Mashiach. And the fact of us being the living temple of Hashem and the original intent when we built the Mishkan before the golden calf even was that we would be the temple. Hashem Shekinah would dwell within us. And this is in Parsha Terumah. So going on to say the... Kohanim would sleep there at the chamber of hearth or hearth uh, the night before they were scheduled to serve in the Beit HaMikdash. There are actually 24 different rotations of the groups that would assemble uh, to represent all of Israel to participate in the offerings, the Korbanot, on a daily basis so that it was vicariously uh, lived out that everyone got to experience the the Tamid offering being offered. So uh, there were representatives for every single person of Yisrael uh, that were stationed. And then you had the different groups of Levi Im who would rotate out with helping the Kohanim, who would also rotate out with uh, all of the 
singing that was to be done and all the musical instruments that was to be played there. And then there were many, many rooms and uh, chambers that had to be uh, manned, if you will, uh, throughout the temple courtyard. So these uh, positions were all filled by different parts of those who were rotating out to be in the temple. And it's beautiful to think about this in the full picture because you think about all of the prerequisites for what it takes to enter into the temple and how you have to be ceremonially pure to be in the temple. And you think about how do you balance that out with your daily life? You know, in particular, uh, your connection with people who may not be in a state of ritual purity and they would make you ritually impure and you'd be in pure till sundown. Um, husbands and wives who have intimate relations. Uh, and if you have any kind of fluids or things that are excreted from your body at certain points or any type of, um, you know, cosmic shalom to think about, you know, carcasses and things like that. But, you know, any kind of impurities from animal corpses or, um, you know, you have family members that pass away and things like that. Well, that would disqualify you from being in the temple and different medical conditions and things like that. Za'arat being one of them. So when you think about all these things, how can it be that you are at the temple every single day? And it's already beautiful that it's already built in that not every single person was at the temple every single day. But you definitely can read in the Basora about a couple of individuals who were constantly in the temple and they lived there. So, I mean, but these were prophets, you know, so... It's just kind of like, all right, but yeah, typically um, not everyone was at the temple and even the Kohanim and the Leviim themselves, they had to rotate out. And when they were not at the temple, they were teaching all of the different um, tribal portions, uh, the different tribes, uh, the different parts of the Torah. They were uh, officiating services like the Kiddushin of the the couples that were to be married underneath the hoopah. Uh, they would teach Torah lectures, teach people Hebrew, lead prayer services, you know, throughout the town squares, because, you you know, the land of Israel was split with the 12 tribal portions and the Levitical cities were scattered throughout. You had the city of refuge, which obviously had many duties that had to be done. So it's just beautiful to think about how there was this beautiful, vibrant flow of uh, people that were moving throughout the land and moving throughout the temple and everyone being interconnected to one another so much so that you're actually represented at the temple if you cannot make it. So, you know, you think about the people who live far north or far east or west from the temple precincts and the travel and the journey may be too far which you can read in passages of Devarim, Deuteronomy, about what what you do if you can't make it to the temple, if you can't bring uh, your first fruits and things like that, how you exchange it out for money, you bring that and you spend it in the holy city. I mean, all these beautiful things. So I think about it like like a heart that's beating, you know, because, you know, Israel is like a small strip of land and it's kind of looking in the shape of a youth when you look at the map. And basically like this little beating heart because you have a flow of people going on. You have the rays of lights and holiness and uh, purification that's flowing throughout the land and throughout the whole entire earth because the temple also intercedes for the nations and 
purifies the world and things like that. So much so that there's been many commentaries uh, shared about how if we want to really get rid of these pandemics that are in the world, all the sicknesses, the disease, the death, all of these things, temple service will get rid of that. It will take care of it. That's the ultimate vaccine, quote unquote, if you will. Many people want to take vaccines to try to overcome viruses and deadly diseases, but it's like the temple will take care of that. And really, if you think about the third temple taking care of that, it's amazing because it's going to come with Tekiata Metin, which is revivification from the dead, the arrival of the Mashiach and Yisrael becoming a world power, like top tier, top notch world power, one of the heavy hitters, if you will. Like, it's crazy to think about, you know, the way that governments and regimes look right now. And you think who's on top, who's your top countries, who's your top military powers. And all of that will be displaced and Yisrael is going to be on top. And so much so that they're going to have their own sovereignty. And it's just amazing to look towards the Olam Haba and see what's going to happen. So we transition out of the Olam Hazeh, which is the world as we know it now into the messianic era and then into the Olam Haba. So it's like these different phases that we'll be going towards. And it's interesting too, because many people think about, oh, dying and going to heaven. Well, that's not really um, the the scope of what it looks like. You go to the world of souls. There's a lot of things to go on with that. You can see Handbook of Jewish Thought, Volume 2, has a whole chapter on the soul and immortality and the afterlife, uh, the pre-Messianic era, which is what we're in now, and uh, things like that. And so you can get more information because the ultimate goal for Judaism is to bring heaven down on earth like it was originally. And we briefly experienced it for 40 years in the wilderness. That was heaven on earth. That's why we say it in the Shema that it'll be as the days of the heavens were on the earth. So going on to uh, continue to read about the uh, Beth Magdash here, it says the older Kohanim would sleep on stone slabs protruding from the walls, holding the keys to the courtyards. The younger Kohanim would sleep on their own mattress in their own clothes with the big day kehuna, which is the priestly garments folded under their heads. So the, this is interesting, just the sleep patterns here of the Kohanim. And then it goes on to say in the morning, they would descend a winding staircase located in one of the chambers of the Beit Hamokade to immerse in the mikvah. So here's where the other mikvah is right next to the place that has a fire that is not going out. So you got literally fire and water where the Kohanim are sleeping. So they go to sleep next to the fire. They wake up next to the fire and they immerse next to the fire. And, you know, you just think about the Yokanon Yeshua connection here. It's just like, wow. So then you go on to read. It says they would then don their big day kehuna and assemble in the Lishkas Hagazitz, which is the room of the great Sanhedrin for the first lottery of the day. So this is the other amazing thing is that the legality of uh, Jewish living day in and day out court cases uh, that was located right here next to the courtyard. So the, the room of the great Sanhedrin is where the Kohen 
the one who's performing all the religious services for us, all the uh, Corbinot and things like that, before they go out and do any of that, after they immerse and get dressed, uh, which is like us in the morning when we wake up and we wash our hands, you know, we take a shower, we, um, well, we use the restroom before that, you know, because you clean, you uh, excrete all your bodily waste first, then you wash and purify, and then you get ready for the service. So it's just beautiful to think, you know, us being the temple and how we already operate as kings and priests. We do priestly activities in the morning. So, uh, yeah, here we are reading about it. So there's these lotteries that go on and they're, it's basically Purim, you know, lots, lots are being cast. So to think about Purim every day in the in the Beit HaMikdash is just a wonderful thought to have. So then going on, it says here, um, there were actually four lotteries held daily in the Beit HaMikdash to determine which Kohen would perform certain daily duties. The Kohanim would stand in a circle and the lottery overseer would stand in the middle. One of the Kohanim would take off his hat to mark the starting point of the lottery. A, a number would be picked much higher than the number of participating Kohanim. Each Kohen would hold up one finger the overseer would then begin going around the circle, counting the fingers, starting with the Kohen who took off his hat. After going around the circle several times, they would reach the chosen number and the Kohen or and that Kohen would receive the task. So if you can think about it, they're going around. It's like the person in the middle operating like the, the hands of a clock. They keep going around. Okay, maybe there's 14 fingers being held up. So they go around 14, 15, 16, 17. Okay, 18. I'll stop at the 18th finger, which is like, you know, one full rotation and then a couple of fingers. And then it's like, okay, did anybody have the number 18? And it's like, okay, maybe someone had 18. Maybe someone had 17. Maybe someone had 19. You know, but whatever's closest, that's the Cohen who would get it. And so it's uh, really cool to think about how the, the lot system was working uh, here. And you think about time and circles and lines and things like that, because that was all being portrayed here. And then it says that. Um, then it says after going around the circle several times, OK, when a lottery involved an avoda, which is a, a service uh, requiring more than one Cohen, the Kohenim standing just after the chosen Cohen along the circle would receive the next tasks. Before dawn, a patrol of Kohenim. So you got like these uh, these little groups of Kohenim going on that they would split into two and encircle the courtyard, making sure that everything was in its place. They would meet in the middle Next to the chamber of Chavitin makers, the south, uh, which is south of the gate of Nicanor, and inform each other that everything was in order. Some Kohanim would remain in the chamber of Chavitin makers and began preparing the Chavitin, which is the Kohen Gadol's daily flower offering. So this word Chavitin. And next to the south gate or south of the gate of Nicanor, 
Uh, this is where the Cohen's uh, daily meal portion would be. And it says the Cohen who won the first lottery would be the first one to go up on the Mizbeach to perform and perform the mitzvah of Terumat Adeshin, which is removing a portion of ashes left over from the previous night, which the sages say, this is like us when we wake up in the morning. This is us using the restroom. We're removing the ashes left over from the previous night. This is our bodily waste. And then it says before performing this avoda, as well as any other avoda, the Kohen, the Kohenim would wash their hands and feet with the water from the Kior, which is the uh, shiny labor, which is situated in the courtyard. After Terumat Hadeshin, the Kohenim would rearrange the ashes and leftover parts of the the Korbanot on the Mizbeach, which is the altar, and the Kohen who performed Terumat Hadeshin would add wood to the fire on the Mizbeach. So this is all like what we read on pages 30 and on in our Siddur when we read the uh, Korbanot, the offerings. And during the morning prayers says the second lottery would be conducted to determine who would perform the task involved in bringing the daily Tamid offering, as well as who would remove the ashes from the incense, Ms. Bayok. So you have to go in and, and take care of the golden altar that is inside the holy place as well. And this is where I want to point out that the father of Yochanan, the immerser, John, the immerser, uh, his father was Zechariah. And it says he was actually performing this avoda when the angel appeared to him and said his wife is going to have a son and his name will be Yochanan. So it's just really cool to think about, you know, he was one of the Kohanim doing what we're reading about. So he was a part of the lottery system that day. And if you think about the the possibilities, the probabilities of this would be the day the angel appeared to him. His wife would be uh, supernaturally uh, conceiving, uh, you know, from everything that's going on here. You know, it's just kind of like how all these different points matched up. It's like, so Zachariah is going to be chosen. The angel's going to show up to him while he's doing the Ketorit. And this is going to be after this. This is after the second lottery happens. And, you know, it's just really cool to think about how all these pieces fit together. And then it goes on to say, uh, as well as who would remove the ashes from the incense, Miss Bayak can prepare the menorah. Because the other part of what Zachariah would have done is preparing the menorah which we also read about in the morning. So the menorah, the lamps would be clean during the day and then the light would be uh, kindled so it could burn throughout the night. So then it goes on to say, then the gates of the Haeckel would be open, which is the gates of the, the holy place, the, uh, the sanctuary. They would be open and the selected Kohanim would begin their tasks. The overseer would inquire of the watchman if it was time to slaughter the morning tamid offering. At the first lights of dawn, he would proclaim Barkai, the day has dawned, which this is our halakhic times where we're able to put on talit and tefillin. So this is like at first light of dawn, we're able to begin the shakarit service, just like they did in the temple. So here's the other part of don't you know your bodies are the living temple 
And it's just like, this is why we rap to fill in. We cover and delete. We dive in the same prayers. We read about the same services that happened in the temple. This is also why the Arab Shabbat service is the way it is because it commemorates the temple service. This is why the women light candles and uh, prepare the challah. The husband blesses the challah because the showbreads in the temple were uh, replaced and eaten on uh, this same night that we celebrate uh, the beginning of the Shabbat. So we're basically doing the priestly services is what's going on. So when you think about uh, being the living temple and then that we're kings and priests and that we're doing all of these different uh, avoda, you know, all these different services. It's just amazing. So then it says um, when the whole eastern horizon. Uh, up to the city of Hebron of Hebron would light up. The overseer would inform the Kohanim that the time had come to slaughter the sheep for the morning tamid. The Kohanim would bring the selected lamb from the chamber of lambs located in the Beit Hamokade. So this little chamber over here, not only was it the quote unquote hotel, even though that's not really a good way to describe it because don't want to demean the temple by any means, Chasve Shalom. But the place where the Kohanim would sleep, the place where there is a fire uh, to use for kindling all the other fires wherever they're needed, uh, where there's also a mikvah. There's also a chamber for the lambs that are uh, to be offered up every day. So you got lambs, Kohanim, fire and water. I mean, you think about this, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who immerses us in fire and Ruach HaKodesh. He's called the Lamb of God. He's also a Kohen. And it's just like, wow, okay, really all of these different symbolisms right here together. So, yeah, so that the lamb chamber was over there. And then it says, as well as 93 silver and gold utensils required for the daily service. That is a lot of dishes. My goodness. Think about having to clean those, right? <laughs> And then it says, after the lamb was slaughtered, the Kohanim who won the lottery would bring its parts to the ramp of the Mizbeach together with the meal offering accompanying the Tamid and with the Kohen Gadol's daily meal offering followed by a wine libation. So the Kohanim, when they offered up their the daily portion of the meal offering, it was in connection with the morning lamb that is to be offered up and its meal offering with its wine libation. And so the Tamid offering of the Kohen goes along with the Tamid offering of Yisrael. And uh, this is just such a beautiful picture and I wanted to share it. So Baruch Abba B'Shem Adonai, we want Mashiach now.